Rick Flair, I don't know what you try to pull here tonight on Nitro. Is that supposed to be a likeness of Rowdy Rowdy Piper? What I'm trying to do, mean Maybe I can help with the two young ladies. No, just kidding. It's tell the wrestling world. Oh. Uh-oh. Oh. Wait a minute. You know, last night I got a call. 12 o'clock at night. Piper said, Nature Boy, I'm coming to Vegas. I'm sorry. Let's make up. I said, Hot Rod, I got two live ones. You can have them all night long. And look what's left of the Hot Rod. Well, the Hot Rod apparently did not fare too well last evening, if indeed that was the case. Who, who, are, who are these two lovely young ladies? They are the best that Las Vegas has to offer. Come here, girls. Wait a minute. Michelle and uh, Linda, yes, our cameras are this way. Let's turn it around if we could. What about this mannequin, though? You've got you've to say something about that. This young lady has a question for you, Mean Gene. And what might that be, my dear? Gene, I just have to know, why do they call him Hot Rod? <laughs> well, I can't get involved with that. That's a pr- He's definitely not hot. Rod, uh, how, do, how do you get involved in this? We're trying to talk business. I guess what we're trying to tell the rest of the world is that when the nature bar is on the scene, that Roddy, 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 Roddy. Apparently, Ric Flair has told these ladies about his Woo! reputation that hey, supreme him. Piper, last week, you walked across the line. You tried to tell the nature boy how to wrestle a wrestling match. My friend, you might be the icon in Hollywood, but when it comes to the sport of wrestling, when it comes woo, to entertaining the lady, the sport of man, when it comes to taking me Gene out all night long, Piper, you stay home with the wife and the kids. Because you can't hang. Ask them. No way, baby. I've got a question for you. Michelle, is he truly the 60-minute man? More like 30 seconds. (laughs) Oh, you're talking about Piper. You couldn't be talking about Blair. There it is, the kilt. Here, it's all that's left of one of the truly great wrestling legends. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Icons apparently are made of. So, Roddy, Hot Rod, let me lay you down to rest. I assure you there is nothing under there. And there's more, apparently. There's a little, uh... Let's have a moment of silence for the man formerly known as Hot Rod. Well, in all due respect, Ric Flair, I don't think this crowd is going to go along with you. Mean Gene, the girls in lieu of Roddy Piper falling down in the job. Hey, hey, my mother I'm bringing you to the party, Las Vegas, Nitro, WCW. Yeah, Rick, I've got to be 
Come on, girls. We're going to be here. Woo! Live all night long. Woo! Woo! Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to December 1997 for Volume 5 of this month's show. Six volumes for you this month. Volume number one takes the WCW, looking at Starcade. Volume number two to the WWF, looking at In Your House. Degeneration X, volume number three to ECW, for all the latest action from Philadelphia. Volume number four to the UFC, looking at a UFC Japan show. And volume number six, the all-important end-of-year awards. So here in volume number five, to discuss the end-of-year review. This will be in kind of three blocks, and there'll be various different people appearing throughout the show this first section of the show will be discussing WCW I'll be joined by Rory McNamara Rory good evening good evening all and Dan Welling Dan hello hello good evening sirs is everyone okay yes very well thank you so no news it's 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 weird I feel like I should be throwing to someone and saying start reading I can generally sit back for this um WCW Rory um there's a lot to be said on the negative side, and I think, one, we have got to that at various points during this year, and we'll get to this in the next 20, 25 minutes. Um, but, Roy, I think we really need to start on, it has been an amazing year for WCW in so many respects. It has been, because this has been the first year where they, when we started in January 1990, where they've gone in in the lead, and officially in the lead. They've been caning WWF in the ratings for seven months non-stop. So the onus was on them to really see what they could do. And although there are a lot of negatives and their weekly television vehicle has had more minuses than pluses than it should, in my opinion, I think they can look back on a a job well done, but they haven't quite brought the hammer down the way they really could or should have done. Dan? I don't think it's difficult to have a... a pretty good year with the amount of talent they've had at their disposal to be honest with you but uh if you look back at the moments on nitro and some of the matches they've had on pay-per-view yeah it has been some very good pluses for them in terms of the stuff we've actually looked about and we i think we are guilty occasionally on this show of going into the minutiae of detail but if you look at broad strokes occasionally yeah the, um, <laughs> the success of the nwo as a merchandising you know popular culture phenomenon has been phenomenal the talent that they have on the undercards with the cruiserweights and you know guys like benoit ddp um raven coming along later in the half year randy savage being in the, in the kind of upper mid card you know that is an embarrassment of riches and it is it has made for very compelling television and overall excellent um standard of wrestling that three or four years ago we would have bitten your arm off to take yeah it's hard to really disagree with that assessment they've got this you know embarrassing roster in a way like you know they've they've almost got too many main eventers uh, and you know one thing they've had to you know juggle and and, and work around is all these you know all these egos and all these expectations guys like roddy piper rick flair randy savage etc etc um uh, and they've done i think i think broadly done an excellent job business on the whole has been fantastic they've been breaking attendance records left right and center they break one and then before that show happened they'd break it again 
Um, that happened on about three or four occasions this year. Um, and Nitro's just a cool gig in town. That's the thing for, you know, whether people are going there and they're, they're just, it's just a hot ticket. Yeah, whether people understand what they're seeing, whether they understand the, the negatives, what's going on, does it really matter? You know, people want to go and see Nitro. Um, uh, and Rory, I think the, the one of the big reasons, one of the perhaps the biggest success story, certainly up until about five days before the end of the year, um, was the build of Hulk Hogan and uh, and Sting. Absolutely, they wobbled a bit towards the end, and the less talked about the final full stop, the better. But they managed to make a match which everybody wanted to see, and nobody could have blamed them if they had rushed because fans were so desperate to you know, plonk down the hard earned to watch this match but they managed to hold off, hold it off for the entire year and not only that they managed to add extra layers on top of it which were really important now, we didn't see Sting all the time, when he did appear to attack the NWO it meant something when we, saw him, when we saw him showing emotion like a small smile, it meant something when we saw Hogan displaying fear it meant something, it all worked really well and it was the glue that held together their television so often uh, during uh, Monday Nitro, when the other times it did dip quite dramatically, when they couldn't rely on their top echelon workers. Uh, yes, um, despite all its major flaws, when they got to the final paragraph and they just couldn't let go, a Hogan Sting has been a major success story from pen to paper for WCW this year. That, in the words of the great Terry Funk, hold it off, hold it off, hold it off. And when you think you can't possibly hold it off anymore... Hold it off just some more. Masterclass in long-term anticipation building of a match. I mean, as, to, to hold off basically for, I think, six, fifth, 15 months since Black Sting, um, you know, Blackface Sting Sting. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah Black, uh, October 96, I think, was when, you know, that was right around the time it happened, wasn't it? Yeah, to hold off for that long and to always have that match kind of in the public's, um, consciousness is a incredibly ballsy b just very intelligent just because you know the more you hold off a match the more anticipation builds for for the actual showdown itself and you know i'm not going to say anything about the actual the match itself because that's you know been covered quite a lot recently by by you guys but in terms of you know just building a whole angle which which held the public's attention for so long, it was it was it was fantastic. I mean, there were missteps you know on the week to week basis, but again, if you look at it again from a broad stroke, it's just it's just perfect. You know, guy, you don't know what size things on for for four months of that build. He finally shows his cards at uncensored ninety seven with the baseball bat attack, and then you've just got nine months of Hogan. Just be trying to hold off fighting Sting. You get, you know, Sting has multiple opportunities to fight, you know, other guys like Hennig and Nash and Hall, but he goes, nope, it's all about Hulk Hogan for me. And that's, you know, the final two months of the build where it's all about Hogan Sting after Hogan's dealt with Piper and Luger and Giant, all these guys. So yeah, just broad strokes wise, just masterclass of long term build. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's the sign of a company that can, you know, has a lot of momentum behind and that they can build something like this and the minutia doesn't really matter. Um, you know, 
Dan, you might have heard our WCW show yet for this month because we only taped it yesterday. Um, but I kind of went through and uh, I went through all the build and kind of said, look, here's a big long list of things that don't really make sense here. And yet it didn't really matter. You know, I kind of made the point on that show that perhaps it could have been even better had they have got a few extra things correct. But when you look at things largely, they created this thing that people wanted to see. They created this hot ticket that boosted everything. It boosted live event sales. It boosted uh, Nitro tenants. It boosted TV ratings. It boosted, to a point, pay-per-view buy rates. So they still wobbled up and down, depending on what was on the card. Generally, if it was Hogan on it, it, had, it got more buys. Um, um, but, uh, you know, for a, for a company that generally doesn't seem to plan that far ahead, they went with a really ballsy move because really this, you know, I, I was thinking, well, they'll do it as something like Bash at the Beach. You know, if you want to, given now what happened at Bash at the Beach in uh, in 1996, and I think the first Hogan match uh, in 94 was at Bash at the Beach too, and if you want to create this tradition of this being this big annual show then you could have done the first Hogan Sting match there um deciding that no we're going to wait until December like you know I'm also going to sit here and say it was a bad idea but they managed to pull it off um uh, and fair play to them um to, to awkwardly pivot as we do have to sometimes on the on on this show or certainly on this version of the show um Dan let's talk about the NWO as a whole um uh, again, I, I think they've rode this wave of popularity that was built in the last, the final six months of 1996. But would it be fair to say the NWOs probably, aside from Hogan and Sting, lacked a lot of direction this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you they kind of ran out of steam when they ran out of ideas with the whole WCW versus NWO thing. We've spoken before about the amount of non-worthy members that joined them. You know, guys like Bubba Rogers and, you know, you know Vincent and, you know, even to an extent. VK Wall Street. Yeah. Even to an extent, someone like Scott Norton, who is a fine big horse, but is the NWO worthy? Probably not. Um, and just, you just think of the match, you know, the match that and start at Starcade this year, which was just three random blokes against the Steiners and a kind of unhappy ex member. You know, for a, for a group that is, this popular in terms of merchandise, this popular in terms of the reason why WCW is hot, the reason why it is the, the hot ticket in town, the reason why it's, it's constantly beat the WWF in the ratings. That's not really worth it, you know, for your, your big, your big end of show angle, apart from the main event, which is, you know, been built for 12 months, you would have thought they would have come up with something a bit better than just three random blokes against three other random blokes for the end of year show, you know? Um, and that was kind of like a summarization of how the NWO has felt in the last eight months of the year, really, since uh, since the big uh, uncensored tag match. So, yeah, it has been disappointing. I personally would like to see the NWO kind of move away now into a, you know, a, a bit more of a fresh angle because it's a new year, new start, have some internal strife with Hall and Hogan and Nash maybe having a feud. Um, so, so, yeah, I, yeah. It has been a bit undirectionist, and uh, hopefully it's got some bit more fresh light coming into the new year. Roy? Question for you guys. How many people have joined the NWO this calendar year? Do this many. calendar year? No, that's the point. It's not many, isn't it? Isn't it like that's three? Point. Off the top of my head, I've got Hennig. I've got yeah. Heenan, who, Hennig, he, Hennig Heenan, who joined for one week. 
and then switch back Rick again inexplicably. And Rude, they're the three I can think of. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Uh, Scott Norton, did he join last year? I, I think it was last year. And was Eugene last year? Agata? Uh, did he join? Yeah, Chono was this year, wasn't he? No, Chono. Chono joined in name only, didn't he? <laughs> No, China was China was the NWO Japan guy with Norton, right? Wasn't that the point? They sent them over there to represent Yes, and there was a 10-second promo about it a few weeks ago. Yes, I remember now, yeah. Woe betide me for forgetting that one. But, uh, but the point I'm getting is they really have... Ah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's oh, not forget on. the hosts of Dinner and a Movie. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. I knew you'd try and get them in there somehow. Yeah, okay. Other than those prestigious twosome. Oh, goodness me. Flashbacks to the August show here. Oh, you and Dale were like dogs with bones with that one. Help myself to a quick drink while I try and steal myself. Yes. Thanks, Bob. Right. The point I was trying to make was this. Other than those very auspicious guests, the NWO have been everywhere, but they haven't really done anything. And as much as I loathe both Sold Out and the 22nd of December Nitro, more on those in another show or in another show this month, they at least, a very large at least, but they at least tried to get the point of the NWO across, which is what I thought it always was, that they were trying to create their own promotion out of WCW and run them out of business. When they haven't been doing that, they've just been guys who the crowd just seem to like because of their T-shirts and their cool slogans. And that's pretty much it. I couldn't really sit down with anybody and try to explain what the modus operandi of the NWO is. They've sort of just become a heel group with some very cool people in it. An overly large heel group with some very, very un-uncool people in it, but that's another story. In my dreams, Starcade was the event where WCW went over NWO almost exclusively. Maybe give them one token win. Even in my wildest dreams, however, I did not expect that the NWO angle was going to end at Starcade, or maybe the Nitro afterwards. But I do agree with Dan. I think the time has come now for if you are going to keep it going, and you probably need to, it needs to evolve somehow. Some internet sign warfare, which was kind of suggested between Nash and Hogan back in about April, May time. Maybe play up something like that. Try and get rid of some of the deadwood. I don't know, but don't just leave them there as some sort of permapresence if there's no real end game. You know, I said way back on the show, the Bash at the Beach 96 show last year, I remember saying to you, Bob, do they have in plan what their final goal is for the NWO? And here we are now at the end of 1997, and is apart from letting them wreak havoc whenever they want, I'm still not absolutely sure what it is. Yeah, they're caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? Um, as they have been the entire year. You know, the the plan, I think, you know, really, they, they, they worked out this idea in about September of last year. We're going to make this NWO its own thing. You know, we can create this own brand with the brand. We can create rival brands and play them off each other. No one ever really kind of followed, you know, it, 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 a sheet of A4 paper would have been enough to work out that wasn't going to work. Because you just keep following the flow chart along and you work out it doesn't make sense. Who is going to oppose the NWO on an NWO only show? How, you know, NWO are the cool guys or the bay faces or heels. Uh, the, the, the others are the non-NWO guys and what's the point in them being there? The NWO works at its best before it became NWO in name. The best, it, it was its best when it was just Hall and Nash in the middle of 96 before it, before Hogan even joined. 
Um, but the reason that it's been so directionless is because they, one, haven't been able to, and, and we're, we're discussing this right now, it like happened two weeks ago, they haven't been able to decide a pathway for where the group is going to go because nobody has yet formally shot down the idea of an NWR-only product. They may now have done that, but this is literally in the last week or so when they worked out, oh, shit, a lot of people don't like this. The message should have come in September 96. It sure as shit should have come and sold out this year that an NWO-only product makes no sense. And that's been their single biggest problem, is that because they haven't been able to shoot that down, that idea, they haven't been able to involve the NWO because they've always kept the group too big on the basis that they were going to need a lot of bodies for an extra show. Now, if they've finally gone, this isn't going to work, we may now finally see the group develop and evolve. Um, The tricky thing is, though, is that it's almost working too well. Like, there were talks about, well, we could split off Hogan from the group, but it's like, Hogan's earning a shitload of money being a part of this. We're all earning a shitload of money being a part of this. Um, I'd probably like to see Scott Hall broken off of it, um, because I think they need to do something with it, and I think you could break Scott Hall away from the group and turn him to, into your biggest baby first behind Sting. Uh, there's a lot of competition in that regard. But that is their big problem. Without being able to decide firmly, we cannot go down this direction and this direction, and it only leads us this third way. While they've always had three different options available, they'd never be willing to commit. And that is a bit of a problem. Um, again, another another shift, in, uh, a swift and quick change in direction. Um, Roy, I think one of the big standout things from WCW this year, again on the positive front, um, and I think one of you mentioned it earlier, is just the the work rate and, and the level of matches this year has been ballistic, almost to a point where good wrestling has kind of become expected. Is that fair to say? I think that's very, very fair to say. Another great example, which we've just seen, Starcade opening match there between Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. On that show, I merely called that match quite good, and that was a criticism. Three and a half years ago, we would have bitten your hand off for a quite good opener to a WCW pay-per-view. Now, it's it's always become a self-fulfilling prophecy when you sit down to watch WCW pay-per-view, no matter how much is going to suck at the top of a card. You almost now, if you don't get a four-star-plus match somewhere on the undercard, you know, you're going to feel disappointed. But that's nobody's fault. Because when you've got a roster, the quality of Malenko, Guerrero, Benoit, Ray, Dragon, Jericho, Nagata at his best. I could go on. Uh, like I always say, you watch wrestling, people watch wrestling for so many reasons. But I think the fundamental, it, it sat somebody down, put a gun to the head, what do you really watch wrestling for? Somebody's going to say, great matches. And WCW, more than any other of the three main promotions, you're guaranteed good matches. And when people really click, great matches. And sometimes, as you've seen this year, absolute all-time classics. As long as their roster do stay motivated, because I do feel that they are playing second fiddle to the big boys up front, then I think going into 98, we're going to have a lot more top-quality matches. But yeah, the, those people on the roster, and they know who they are, need to um, pat themselves on the back. An extra New Year's Eve drink for them because they've done brilliantly this year. Dan? Honestly, it's one of my biggest bugbears in wrestling is that thought of, oh, this is just a good match between, I don't know, Jericho and Dean Malenko. Ah, it was fine. It was a good match. No, savour this. Savour that we have this much talent, you know, right at our fingertips, all in one company. Just, just, you know, think back to those times when Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Honky Tonk Man and 
all those guys were wrestling for titles in 94, 95, and then then start moaning about the quality, you know, the quality of a Chris Jericho versus Ultimo Dragon match. That doesn't mean nothing to me. A great match means it's automatically more important than three kind of really rubbish matches with star power. To me, a great match is something that I look for most in wrestling. I love cruiserweights. Sorry, Bob. I love cruiserweight wrestling. And WCW is the place where I can get it, and it's absolutely incredible. You know, um, so just for that reason alone, go and, you know, if you want to put me want to watch Nitro and see Rey Mysterio take on a Guerrero in a cruiserweight title match, hell yeah, I'm tuning in for it. And I like to think that there's at least some portion of our audience who have tuned in and switched over from Raw to go and watch Nitro for the NWO and Hogan and Nash and et cetera, et cetera, but have stayed because of guys like Malenko and Benoit and Guerrero and Mysterio because there's no place on earth that you're going to get better all-round rosters and matches than WCW right now. And to look ahead to 1998, from a perspective of possibly the most stacked wrestling roster in history, in fact, probably unarguably, I'd say, um, in, in terms of just this sheer depth of main event talent, this great depth of undercard talent, Bret Hart as this wild card that just sets up like six out-of-the-box ready-made main event feuds. Um, Rory coupled that with uh, a product that's now going to have to involve perhaps like seven or eight hours of first-run wrestling a week if you include Nitro, Thunder, Saturday Night and whatever's left of Worldwide and Pro and everything else. Um, Roy, 1998 presents uh, opportunity but challenge, I think. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and I just wonder that they are going ahead with this show on, on, on Thursdays if they might just have bitten off a bit more than they can chew here. That is a lot of television to produce. Now, based on what we've just talked about, it might well be where they switch things up a bit and Thunder kind of becomes the the work-rate wrestling show and Nitro more exclusively becomes the storyline character show. Where that leaves the likes of Saturday Night and Dear Old Pro and Worldwide, God only knows, but uh, I don't think they're too bothered about them now either. But yes, it's, it's a really bold move. They've certainly got the roster depth to cover those two shows. And with Bret Hart coming in, as you say, Bob, there's seven or eight main event matches and feuds they can now go to carry them through the next year two years even if they really wanted to go that far so I'm going to be interested to see how seriously they take Thunder because obviously it's not up against the WWF and Nitro v Raw is always going to be the prime mover in the eyes of Eric Bischoff and I think for as much as he cares about it Ted Turner as well but um they've got the numbers have they got the words and the letters let's find out that what an energy that was Rory it's top class um if they were organised and they really could thrash out what this second show is going to be, I think this uh, Thunder could be one of the most biggest assets because it's, again, another reason and a way to showcase and develop your amazing roster and your and potentially some new characters. You know, as great as Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko have been, if you can get them involved in a few developed on Monday um, or developed on Thursday exclusively, then... Again, you've now created more over guys that could potentially, you know, sell your pay-per-views and sell your merchandise. 
uh, it's WCW though, so I, I highly doubt they have any ideas of what's going on for this show. Um, the worst thing they could ever do is just make Thunder Nitro Light, where they just put the guys who haven't been could be bothered to get onto the Monday Night Show, stick them on Thunder, see what they can do, and if anything good comes from it, we'll put them on Nitro. That because you know that's just a it's a waste of your resources. Two, it's a waste of the talent because they're just being you know shoved onto the show because they're not good enough in the eyes of the executives and the the management. Um, and yeah, so it's just if if this if this does become just another show with no prime you know um, objective and there's no methodology behind what the show is going to be booked like, this could be an absolute disaster because you try. You know, the more these guys are going to get exposed, guys like Benoit, guys like Guerrero, etc., etc., and hopefully the crowd are getting involved in them, the more you've got to manage even more egos. You know, all the guys with creative control that we've mentioned before, plus the guys who've got up and movement on the card, like DDP, you know, how they, it's impossible. You cannot manage that many up, you know, star power that WCW have at their disposal right now if they don't use the Isis Thunder um, TV show properly. If they are stuck with three hours of trying to manage this, you know, circus, and we've seen with Starcade just what it can happen, what can happen when it's used wrongly, it could be disastrous. Is on answer. Um, but with that much talent at disposal, there should be enough quality and there should be enough um, creativity to keep fans on board. But some people have it's already broke the channel with camel's back with some people. What happened on Sun? What happened on Starcade? That's not. That's hope it doesn't happen again. I'll end with this. Uh, in ninety four, ninety five, when they started expanding their number of pay per views, everyone said this is a bad idea, and they made it work. In ninety five, when they moved to a brand new show called Monday Nitro, opposite Monday Night Raw, everyone said this is a bad idea. It won't work, and it did. 1996, they moved Nitro from one hour to two hours, and everyone said, this is a bad idea, it won't work. And it did. Um, a lot of things that shouldn't have worked for WCW did. This shouldn't work either, but we'd be wrong to ignore history, and we'd be wrong to say that this won't work because it appear like it won't, or it can't. Um, they have made a history of proving a lot of people wrong with these kind of changes in the last couple of years. Um, they need to be wary of a few things. They need to be wary of, you know, one, the number of names they're going to have around Hogan, Piper, Bret Hart, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, all these guys that if they've got contract renewals coming up are probably going to go, hey, I'd quite like a bigger slice of this pie. Now we're all raking a bit more than we used to. That's going to be a challenge. Um, and the... You know, what might happen if some of these guys coming up break through, whether it's by design or otherwise. I'm looking at Darren Dallas Page to a point, but I'm also looking at guys like Chris Benoit, these, you know, Eddie Guerrero, you know, two guys that I think if you keep putting on television, I don't think you can hold them back. Um, that's going to be a big challenge. But in theory, two shows gives you the time to do that. But they've just got to find a way of making both of them relevant independently of one another. I don't think if, if Thunder is just the next two hours of Nitro, Nitro can barely fill two, two and a half hours as it is. Um, they do a better job of it some weeks than others. But that's going to be the big challenge, is finding a balance between so many different moving parts. If they can get it right, it could be excellent. But... 
This one feels like a, a punt, but a lot of them felt like punts, and they came off. So we've got to give them that, and we've got to give them the time to try. But it is going to be a difficult juggling act, juggling all these different factors. Anyway, that'll wrap up this chunk of the end of year review. Anyway, uh, I'm going to say goodbye to Dan Welling. Dan, thank you very much. Cheerio. Uh, and well, to me also, this is my final part on the, on this 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 bit of the show. Anyway, uh, Rory should be uh, the other side of this noise with the WWF part, and then Eric and Chris will take you through uh, ECW as well. But um, until the other side of this noise, goodbye. Well, Sean, earlier today we found out you're going to be here to make a blockbuster announcement. The stage is yours, and we're ready to hear it. Well, I got a lot of things on my mind, Dirk Brooks. <laughs> First and foremost, I'd like to address how unappreciative the Canadians are to the U.S. people. Here you have, in the U.S., I'm sorry, the Canadian Daily News, that in the U.S. freed all your fairies. See, we're that kind of, we're that kind of country. We'll free your fairies, we'll free your heterosexuals, we'll free your transvestites, we're good with everything. <laughs> John Michael has done it no matter and what country he's ever in. Even though I'm not getting my appreciation from this crowd, I have some deep memories of Canada. I can remember sitting home Christmas morning, my parents giving me some little Canadian army men, and they all came out like this. <laughs> and of course, I can't pass this one up. Everybody knows why the U.S. keeps from falling into the ocean, because Canada sucks. Every now and then, the John could go just a little too far. But now that I've had my fun, I have to come out here and let every one of you know that the Heartbreak Kid... I've never seen such a response. If I didn't know better, I'd say you were talking to me, but you can't be. I know you're not talking to me. Oh, where was that? Oh, yeah. This flag match, the Hart Foundation won three ready and able Americans. Stone Cold is one, and I'll give you one guess who's gonna be number two. Get it, Billy? That's right. HBK himself, the Hart Rick. Whoa! John Michaels in action tonight! Whoa. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The... Oh, whoa. whoa! Did you think that was it? <laughs> You've got to know me better than that. Now, everybody knows, last week, I got on my hands and knees and pleaded to the World Wrestling Federation officials that I wanted to be a part of SummerSlam.
Bogart. I wanted to sell tickets. That job was taken. I wanted to give away souvenirs. That job was taken. So I once again went to the head of the World Wrestling Federation. And he said, Sean? Actually, he said, Mr. Sean, because he knows better. He said, if you want this gig, there's only one opening for you. It seems that Earl Hebner, the top WWF referee, is a little out of it. So the heartbreak kid is going to be a special referee at SummerSlam. What match are you going to referee, Sean? What match? Now, you've got your opening card. You've got your middle of the card. You've got the top of the card. And then you've got the main event. And I only want one match. And that's the main event. The Undertaker. And let the Hitman hunt for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And I will be the special referee. That's going to be. Now, wait just a second. You're going to referee a match involving Bret Hart and The Undertaker for the WWF title. Don't you think that Bret Hart may feel that that's a little bit prejudicial? What Bret Hart feels. It's not my concern. You want to feel something, right? Feel this. But the WWF officials have made it clear to me that if I do not call the match down the middle, if I lean towards the Undertaker's side, I also will not be able to wrestle in the United States. So... If I don't call the match down the middle, I'm going to have to move up here with the rest of you and wrestle in front of you every day of my life. We'll move on to conclude this podcast to have a brief discussion pertaining to a sort of end of year discussion in the WWF. Life is a full end of year review. This will be on a much lesser scale, but this is sort of WWF specific. And um, this is, in fact, my first podcast on the wrestling side of things for the entire year. So I will be leaving much of the opinion to the both of you. Um, first topic here, and I'll come to you first, Craig. Bret Hart. Uh, I don't really want to dwell too much on, on Montreal and the Survivor Series specifically. That was already excellently covered in great depth last month. But, Craig, what did you make on Bret Hart's final year in the WWF? Yeah, uh, probably didn't end up how he expected it, but I, uh, I have to, if, if we're looking back over the, the course of the whole year, I have to say that my favourite gimmick or angle this year is undoubtedly the, the Team Canada, versus, uh, sorry, Canada versus USA angle, not the Team Canada versus USA match at Survivor Series, that's completely different. The, the programme with the, the Hart Foundation when they are, they're jeered and America and treated like absolute heroes in Canada. I, I just loved it. It was it was completely different, uh, and and it really sort of ticked a lot of boxes for me. Uh, I, I liked that the 
reunited with uh, the Bulldog ex and uh, Owen Hart. I like that. I like them pairing. I, I, I did love the the heel turn for Hart at uh, WrestleMania as well in his match with uh, Stone Cold, which I don't know if this is a subsequent question, but that's certainly my year, match of the year. But yeah, I, I think the, the, the problems with uh, Shawn Michaels sort of clearly escalated and caused massive issues for the for the pair of them uh, behind the scenes. I don't, I don't think this was uh, the, certainly not the ideal uh, finish for, for Bret Hart. But I also question, even with the sort of edgier heel uh, character that he was playing in the, in the latter months of his WWF run, if if he would have been able to succeed in uh, in this sort of new edge of WWF, I don't think it would have. I don't think it'd have sat comfortably with him long term. I think short term he, he might have been able to suck it up and get on with it, but I, I think long term he uh, this new WWF wouldn't have been for him. So perhaps first the uh, ending probably wasn't what he. Had in mind that I, I think he, he he wouldn't have really worked in the in the new edge of WWF, the soap opera sports entertainment WWF. I don't think it would have been for him. Rory, uh, what have you made of uh, Bret Hart's 1997? Uh, it started better than it ended, as far as WWF was concerned for him, didn't it? Uh, yes, this this is actually going to sound really quite harsh, especially coming from me, who was very much a Bret Hart fan, is my favourite wrestler growing up always be one of my absolute favourites. But if it hadn't been for the announcers constantly banging on about him every single week since the events at Montreal, I would barely even have noticed that he'd left. Because where the WWF are now, what their modus operandi is, what the state of their output is, I just cannot see Bret Hart in there at all. I can't see him you know, go, you know, in a situation with a character like the artist formerly known as Gold Dust or even heels like the New Age Outlaws. Anybody like that? It just, it, it seems like, as far as the WWF is concerned, rightly or wrongly, and whatever your thoughts are on the product, he seems like yesterday's man. And this is somebody who, during his heel run for USA versus Canada, was giving his absolute best on the microphone as a heel every single week. It did have its flaws. I think he repeated himself quite a lot. I'm still not absolutely sure how comfortable he was with it, even though the heel turn was supposedly his idea. But he tried, and he did his best to absolutely carry that throughout the summer. He had the small matter of the greatest match I've ever seen at WrestleMania. So if you're going to have uh, something in the plus column, it might as well be something as good as that. Uh, he had good matches with the likes of uh, the Patriots, he was given the world title shot at SummerSlam in an expertly built story-led match. And I think if we take November out of the equation, he can look back on his year and be pretty proud of himself, even though it wasn't always entirely successful. And I don't want to have to bring up uh, the events of November again, because we did that in our show, WWF show last month, where we talked about it for four hours. Just to say, in the cold light of day, I wonder if he thinks, you know what, maybe, just maybe, I was done a favour here. It's interesting, you mentioned like him being yesterday's man and things like that, and, and Craig as well, you say about him not fitting in this new WWF edgy landscape, because 
into the December podcast pretty cold. Like, obviously, like, without having seen a lot of November's stuff, like, Montreal aside, it doesn't feel like there's a Brett-shaped hole at the top of the card. It doesn't feel like there's a Brett-shaped hole anywhere. They've moved on very well and very quickly, and they've adjusted perfectly, almost transitioning into... It feels like it's full steam ahead behind a lot of other things, and it feels like there's plenty of things going on that I wouldn't know he wasn't or, or anything like that. It doesn't feel like he's missing. And uh, just to round off Brett, I would say, well, the year did begin with him, the WWF, in protest at the finish of the Royal Rumble match where he was screwed out of it by Austin. So it kind of did come full circle in a way. And uh, so, yeah, when you look back on it, I do think it was probably one of Brett's best years, like in terms of, like you say, you've got that Austin and um, Austin and Brett match at WrestleMania 13 and the heel work afterwards ended. But moving forward, I do think it's probably best for both parties that they are, they've, they've split off from each other now. Let's also talk about the rise of another character throughout uh, 1997. Uh, Craig, I'll come to you first. How do you feel Stone Cold Steve Austin has developed throughout the year and how how does he feature now as, a, as opposed to he did back in January? Uh, yeah, I, I think sort of to, towards the, the, the start of the year we were uh, seeing some shoots of uh, progresses. Um, uh, if we'd been doing this... Uh, Podcast this time last year, we'd have we'd have been wondering what what's next for Stone Cold after terrible debuts at Ringmaster, but sort of coming on to something a wee bit edgier with uh, after his King of the Ring win. It, it has been a good year. I, I enjoyed his uh, his program with uh, with Bret Hart. We talk about how it was Bret Hart's best year, but I think Stone Cold certainly in the early months had a lot to do with that. I thought he was hugely entertaining and in, in the rumble and served the. Uh, probably actually deserved to win. I, I wasn't too fussed about the the, the screw finish, but uh, you can't pick everything 100% clean. But yeah, I, I, I thought he's had a, a a really really good and entertaining year. As we talked quite heavily throughout the podcast, it's clear that he's destined to be the champion. It was a tragedy what happened at uh, SummerSlam with the, the breaking of his neck, uh, and I hope, hope that he's sort of able to recover that. And move on, but I, I don't think it'll be the same. Uh, Steve Austin is clearly a sort of more punch and kick Austin rather than what it was before. I think he's probably going to have to adapt his style, but he's still got the charisma and the X factor to sort of really reach the top. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm hopeful he's able to sort of move on even just slightly from those injuries and, and see what he can do. But yeah, I, I think he's had a, a a very very good year, and yeah, uh, uh, onwards and upwards for uh, Austin. Rory, your thoughts on Austin's 97? At the start of this year, Austin was, if not the number one heel in the company, very, very close to it. He is now in December 1997, the number one face in the company. And yet, he's the same guy. He hasn't actually changed. He stomps around. He hates everybody. He doesn't care if you cheer him or not. He raises, the, he raises his finger. He wears black tights. His head shaved. He'll kick your ass. He'll walk back. He'll celebrate his win. There you go. Fantastic. When you think about it, who couldn't cheer that? 
And when you couple that with everything, the fact that he's stupendous on the mic, that he clearly is living his character 100%. It is, he's a joy to behold every single week. Again, the other half of the greatest match I've ever seen. So well done there, Steve. Played that role to absolute perfection, in which he made himself a sympathetic face without becoming fetched by golly well, happy-go-lucky shucks man. And that is such a hard trick to pull off, and he has managed it. He's the same guy, but he's a sympathetic character. And that is something which only the very best people can do in any form of scripted entertainment, let alone professional wrestling. If what happened at SummerSlam was, was terrible, and it's obviously affected him ever since. At time of recording, we still don't know how fit he is. But he was able to channel that, what, I, what must have been, very real anger and frustration at not being able to do what he does every week and that's wrestle and he was able to carry that and channel it into some amazing rage filled promos which culminated in September 1997 when he stunned Vince McMahon and like I said at the time it didn't just feel like an act of nihilism it was the absolute culmination full stop on weeks and weeks of pure pent up frustration he just lashed out on who happened to be in front of him, and that guy was, in this case, the owner of the company he works for. But yes, he is a superstar. He is the world champion in all but name. He's had a magnificent year. He's carried the company in everything he's done. I just hope, beyond hope, that he can get fully fit or somewhere close to it, because he's going to have to do this all again next year as champion from WrestleMania, because newsflash everybody, if he's fit, he's taking the belt from Michaels at Mania. And he's going to be the champ for the whole of the rest of the year. So just please get fit, Steve. You deserve it. You have been fantastic. You've been the star of the show this year. I think as as long as he can cut a promo like he does, he's, he's true to the the character he's currently portraying, the anti-hero, relatable, smash-mouth babyface. And as long as he can punch someone in the mouth, kick him in the gut and drop him with a stunner, He'll be just fine in going into 98. Um, moving on to the next wrestler who sort of look back at their year. Uh, Rory, I'll start with you on this one and we'll start with, uh, we'll go to you on The Undertaker, who's had a, a mixed bag in 97. Yes, The Undertaker at the start of the year was kind of sort of kicking his heels, really. He was put into the world title picture, which I thought was odd. Is he the character who really wanted the world championship? And he didn't really have any storyline. He was in that excellent match at Final Four with Brett, Vader and Austin. Came up short there. He eventually went on to win the belt from Sid at WrestleMania. And it was only after that where he started to have this storyline develop with the whole Paul Bearer situation, which had been simmering very, very gently ever since SummerSlam last year when, uh, when they broke off. And almost got in the way of the fact that he was world champion. His matches didn't really mean anything. He had a, a fun match with Mankind at Revenge of the Taker, a match with Austin at Cold Day in Hell, which happened way too soon, a nothing match with Farouk in at King of the Ring, an OK match with Vader in July. Yet, they were all second fiddle behind what was Paul Bearer's dark secret that he was going to reveal on The Undertaker. And... This, this is so bizarre. Undertaker loses the belt at SummerSlam, and then the story pretty much goes cold for a couple of months. Here he are, he has that 
astounding Hell in a Cell match with Sean at Bad Blood, which I implore everybody to go out of their way and see if somehow they missed it. And then they drop the bomb. Paul Bearer emerges, this eerie music hit, and there is Kane, the brother who Undertaker thought was dead. He thought he burned in a fire 20 years ago, and there he is, staring him in the face. And I think Undertaker has played everything here really, really well. When he had to cut that long promo back in, I think it was in July time, where he had to tell his story about where he stood with the whole situation with Kane and Vera. He got a lot of criticism for his acting ability, possibly even from me on that show as well. But looking back on it now, I think he did a really excellent job. And I love what they've done with him. They've added some real vulnerability to this character. Who Don't forget, you know, he got over by, as a face, by not showing vulnerability. His whole gimmick was that he was a zombie. He was dead. He was, for two years, he was impervious to pain. And now here he is, wracked with torment at the fact that his brother, who he had written off as dead, is now here. And not only that, his brother wants to fight him. And they got every step of the way right. What they had in December, the last roar of the year, was him coming down to help Kane from a beatdown. And then he just walked away from it because he sensed that even that wasn't enough for Kane to uh, drop his own hatred for Taker. So yes, Undertaker has had a great year. The WWF title run wasn't amazing, but it felt like a bit of a long-service medal, which he deserved. And I'm really looking forward to where this story takes shape in 1998 now. Craig, your thoughts on Undertaker's 1997? Yeah, a bit of a mixed one. uh, It's it's, uh, it's a very... Very forgettable uh, WWF title run he had. Uh, other than the, the Mankind match you mentioned there, I just remember being really bored with the with the, the game of the ring. Yeah, it's it's been a been a strange year for them. I think Rory's analysis that it was a sort of long-standing medal, the the title win. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, yeah, and he just sort of then bobbed around a little bit, and then the came program, and now he's wrestling Jeff Jarrett on pay-per-views and now he's back in the title scene. It just seems a little bit uh, all over the place, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm invested in the, in the uh, game stuff because uh, I think uh, I, I think there's I think they've, they've done it well. They haven't uh, haven't rushed it. Uh, sporadic uh, Views of, views of him, uh, is not sort of being pushed down our throat, so we're left wanting a little bit more in the sort of classic booking sense. Uh, so yeah, so it, it makes me invested in it. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm quite keen to see where, where the, where this program, uh, leads. I think it's bizarre that he's now back in the title picture, but it's obviously now clear that he's not going to be, not going to be winning, uh, that title back. But yeah, uh, a mixed year, I, I would say. Some, some good moments, uh, the, Hell in a Cell match was, was absolutely remarkable. Uh, the program with Kane uh, bodes well, but yeah, other than that, quite a largely forgettable year for him. Yeah, uh, it's been a mixed bag for him in a big way. Um, I just want to throw in there that the, the Hell in a Cell match at Bad Blood and the debut of Kane and that whole package is, is my personal favourite match of the year. Not saying it's the best, I'm not going to say it's better than Hart, and Austin at WrestleMania, but my personal favourite. 
I, I wouldn't dare challenge you on that, Rory. Sorry, um, guys. Pick <laughs> <laughs> for us to look back into 1997 for in the WWF is this new edgier product. Um, Rory, what have you made about the edgier product emerging throughout the year and how does that leave things standing as we look into 1998? Yeah, it's the sort of thing I get the impression they wanted or wanted to do, or at least some people backstage wanted to do, at least a year ago, maybe two years ago. Because if you remember, the Raw After Survivor Series 1995, you had the double whammy of Queen of Diesel saying, yeah, I'll slap hands, but it better have a black glove on it. And outright mentioning Vince McMahon as the owner of the company. And you had the angle, the Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels match ending in Shawn having a a concussion in the middle of the ring. It looks like they're pushing things in an edgier direction that. And then six months later, we see the debut of the goon and Freddie Joe Floyd and T.L. Hopper. Now it looks like they've finally, finally gone ahead and done it. And the best example of that I can think of would be the October the 6th Raw, the day after Bad Blood, where they just threw everything up the wall. It was demented. You had a 20-minute DX promo where they showed the video from the MSG incident the previous year. You had Mark Murrow going off at everybody. You had just heels and faces just shooting on each other every time on the mic and just matches which ended in three minutes with no finishes. It was crazy and it was balmy and I knew from that point that they were starting to go all in with it. just want to mention the promo that Vince cut uh, a couple of weeks ago from as we record on Raw in December which was called The Cure for the Common Show. What a stupid name that was by the way. I don't think he needed to say that. It sounds like having read through The Observer and The Torch this month that he was trying to get um, he was trying to get detractors off his back. Sorry Vince that ain't going to work of a preemptive strike as a talk that there's going to be a very big article any day now denouncing pro wrestling. Oh, yes, because that never happens in the mainstream media, does it? So this was him, Vince McMahon saying, well, this is the way we're going to go. We're going to be Jerry Springer and Seinfeld and all your other uh, non-mainstream entertainment shows. So deal with it. If you don't want your kids to watch it, then just have them watching superstars on a Saturday morning or whatever they call it these days and have done with it. If you've been watching WWE, television for a couple of months, you're going to know all that anyway. I don't need Vince McMahon to tell me that they changed direction when you have Dustin Rhodes having a chain around his neck and regularly we see people going through tables off ramps when that was a once in a year, if at all, occurrence. Now, I'd like to think that people watching wrestling shows are savvy enough to get that without it being explained to them. The real question now is, do they keep pushing it farther? You know, when you push the envelope once, can you keep going with it? Are they going to go into out-and-out ECW territory? Because here's the thing for you. ECW would never run an angle on television in which the big baby face talks to a little kid in the audience about somebody not being the real Santa Claus. But they even had Stone Cold Steve Austin, even big bad Stone Cold Steve Austin, hating authority, doing an angle in which he you know, makes the dream of Christmas come true for one little young fan. So I get the impression that even after what Vince has said, they still want to hold on to the young audience a little bit. But if that's the case, they're not really going about it the right way. Because I think 98% of the time for their TV programming now, 
they're just going to get more edgy. They're going to get more outrageous. We're going to see more. We're going to see more sex. We're going to see more violence. We're going to see more swearing. And I hope they're ready for the backlash it's going to get because the mainstream media hate pro wrestling anyway, but they're going to hate it a whole lot more this year going forward. But if they're going to go all in with it and they're going to out and out challenge ECW, then they've got the right people on their roster to do it. But fair play and good luck because you're going to need it. Craig, your thoughts on the same topic? Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I think 1997 uh, going forward will certainly be regarded as a, a fascinating year, certainly a transitional one. The, the journey the company's been on over the last 12 months is quite remarkable when, when you look at just what uh, what has happened. Uh, and the, the, the stuff about the mainstream media, yeah, there's always sort of ridiculed wrestling as a sort of inoffensive nonsense, but if it's now going to sort of be edgy and adult orientated, it just gives them another uh, another uh, stick to beat them with. Uh, really, uh, I'd, I'd be absolutely fascinated to really hear uh, Vince McMahon's thoughts, whether or not he actually thinks the product needed to change. Part of me one part sort of part of me thinks that he probably thought uh, business is business and peaks and troughs, and it would it would pick up again. But I I think in the current climate. Just couldn't carry on with sort of all, all those ridiculous characters of old that were using the WWF to promote them in their chosen first career, whether it was an ice hockey a player, a, a country singer and stuff. That that, that wasn't sustainable. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how far the WWF will push the envelope. Uh, I think. I think they've gotten it wrong with uh, the gold dust stuff, but we, we've covered that. But a, a lot of the rest of the stuff that, that they've done worked. Uh, the new Owen Hart seems interesting. The Mr. McMahon character seems uh, fascinating. You've got sort of Kane doing quite darker stuff. You've, you've got, obviously, you've got Mankind just being Mankind. It, it'll be interesting to see just how uh, many parts of the ECW model uh, the WWF uh, either take inspiration from or or flat out copy. Uh, I suspect uh, we're going to see a lot more violence. I think we're going to see a lot more weapons on TV, uh, blood as well. So yeah, if, if you're used to watching WWF via the Saturday morning SmackDown or uh, not Smack, uh, uh, superstars, then I, I think you're going to uh, be very surprised seeing the. The, uh, the new format of, of Raw. But yeah, I, I think if I could ask this man one question, uh, it would be do you think this change is necessary? I suspect he would say no. Uh, to close out the show, looking ahead to 1998, firstly, Rory, what do you see the WWF looking like as we go into the new year? Maybe focusing on some of the lesser but still major in, in terms of the roster characters such as Ken Shamrock, Jeff Jarrett, people like that as we head into the new year and where do you think they could be going with those types of people? Yeah, I see their storylines getting even more outrageous if they let uh, Vince, Russo lo- Vince Russo even more loose than he has been over the last couple of months. Uh, he's been the head writer now for since about April time. They pretty much jettisoned Jim Cornette from that role. If you've, if you've ever read Vince Russo's stuff for the WWF magazine and Raw magazine, you'll know he's got some crazy maxed out ideas and who knows what are 
favourite characters will be dragged into over the next 12 months with him at the helm. The roster, I have high hopes for a lot of people. I have high hopes for Ken Shamrock. I have high hopes for the Rock, Rocky might be. I'm fascinated to see what they can do in the Intercontinental title feud. I hope that goes on for a few months and that by the end of that, both of them will be ready for legitimate world title runs, or at least world contending for the world title and hopefully even winning it at some point in the future. Although maybe you might want to hold off any of that for 99, because I think 98 needs to be Austin's year on top, officially. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, they're probably going to saddle him with another 50, 60, 70 gimmicks, which won't get over. But one thing they do have with Jarrett in their pocket is that he is former WCW at a time when WCW were on top, i.e. the summer of 96 until two months ago. So I would not be surprised if they use that in one way or another with him. Because now we now know that Vince McMahon is not frightened to mention those three little letters on television. He does so now, or he does so now through the conduit of JR and Jerry Lawler every single week. So I think what we are going to see from the WWF is them really throwing down the gauntlet and effectively without outright saying it, or maybe even without outright saying it, though, Vince McMahon. Yes, we're here to take our crown back from WCW as the premier brand in sports entertainment, and I think they will stop at nothing to do it. And I'd like to think that the roster are ready, the likes of Rock, the likes of Shamrock. You've got characters like the New Age Outlaws, who I don't like them in the ring. I think they're terrible, to be honest. But they really can talk. And if talking is going to be more important than in-ring wrestling in 1998, which I'd say it has been for a good chunk of 97 anyway, then they are the people you want to be able to carry it. So, yes, sir, I think we're going to see full steam ahead and the gloves are definitely off now. Same to you, Craig. What do you see for the WWF in 1998? Uh, I, I, I certainly agree with the, the gloves are off. I think I think it's certainly war now. Uh, I I'm yeah. There's there's a lot of characters to be interested about. I sort of have to disagree with Rory slightly on Ken Shamrock. I don't think he's too far away from his his uh, glass ceiling. Uh, to be honest, I suspect he'll probably sort of more float about the the IC title uh, picture. I can't see him sort of getting back up to the, the so he, he would def- he would definitely need to especially in the current climate he would definitely need to improve his mic skills that's his number one problem I've no doubt about that yeah I, I, I agree with that uh, if he was a heel he'd probably be able to get away with it because he could have a manager but it doesn't really quite work the same for for uh, babyface in that one uh, I, I think sort of new doubt laws are, are going to mean uh, a big part I think the likes of Triple H I think is, is improving Greatly, I think he's benefited a great deal from uh, being in DX. I think he's, I think he was boring. The original character did nothing for me, and uh, it's clear that there was a uh, personality there, and it was just being masked, not to the same extent as it was with Austin as the ringmaster. But yeah, it was a bit of a waste of Triple H having that uh, rich, rich boy gimmick, which is done to death in wrestling anyway. Uh, the the rocks. Uh, Rocky Maivia is coming on a game, but I think if, I'd be surprised in a year's time if we weren't talking about Stone Cold being the MVP of 1998. Uh, and I still sort of harbour some sort of hope that the WWF kick on and actually give Vader something good because they've got a good get, they've got a good performer there. They've just underutilised them, but I'm minded to think that that horse is bolted. Terry Funk wasn't man enough to finish the match. I beat Terry Funk down. 
while his partner Tommy Dreamer cried. Tommy Dreamer had to watch his mentor and his hero see Terry Funk, the hardcore legend, not have the guts or the intestinal fortitude to finish the match. He could not finish the match. Something about his ear. He was he was bleeding from his ear. Stand up here. You stand up and talk to me now. I want to talk to you right now. Damn you, I'm telling you to stand up. Are you going to stand up? Are you not? Stand up, damn you. Terry Funk, if I stand up, I will leave you in no condition to see me wrestle someone else April 13th. And I want you alive and well and miserable as you see somebody else wrestle me for the ECW World Heavyweight title on the pay-per-view and watch your comeback go straight down the tubes. I'm tired of your bull****. I'm tired of this idiot, this imbecile that you got running around here, Brian Lee, saying, Show me the money! Show me the money! Show me the money! Let me tell you one thing! I've got a concussion, but it isn't my first damn rodeo, and it's not going to be my last! Now you stand up! Do you understand me? Do you understand me? Terry Funk, I will not get up. I don't... Because you don't have the guts to get up. And if you don't have the guts to get up, well, I'm coming down, and what a stupid damn thing this is. I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to look you right in the face, and I'm going to tell you that you've said a lot of stuff about me. You said a lot of stuff about me being a blowhard and me talking about this and having these long stories. Let me tell you something. I'm not storying you, you jerk, you fool. And don't sit there and look at me like that. I might slap you right in the face because I'll tell you one thing. As my father, I love my father. I can't help it if your father was some kind of an idiot. If you take a horse, I've said it before, you take a damned horse that's an idiot and you breed it to another idiot. Do you know what you have? I'm 99% sure you're going to have another damned idiot. And that's what you are, is you're an idiot like your old man. And I can't help that. But you watch what you say about me, Raven. You watch it, and you watch what you try with about me. I'm telling you. Oh, you don't have anything to say? You've always got something to say about me. Well, go ahead. Say something about me. Why don't you say something about me now? I'm right here, and I'm confronting you, Raven. Do you have the guts to say anything? Why don't you say something to this old, dilapidated old man? Why don't you say something to me now? Go ahead. You don't have the cards to say anything to me right now. 
And if I get you in that ring, you jerk, if I have the opportunity to get you on that, in that ring, I am going to tell you, I am not going to be a long-winded old man. I am going to give you the shortest story that you've ever heard from anyone right now. If I get you in the ring, you want to call me Wendy? If I get you in the ring, Raven, on the 13th of April, I'm going to beat the out of you. So to review the end of the year uh, for ECW and to look back at what we've seen and to look ahead at where we're going in 1998, uh, I'm Eric Landstrom, and I'm joined by Chris Lacey here to talk about uh, ECW. And, and Chris, you've uh, you've seen everything there is to see and know everything there is to know about ECW. Uh, so we'll jump right into it with the, with the major themes of the of the year. Uh, Chris, ECW on pay-per-view. Some of us never thought we would see it. If you'd have asked us in 96, 95 and 96, we, we were pretty sort of like, this is great, ECW. It's a little sort of the engine that could, but it'll never get to pay-per-view. It'll never get mainstream. It'll never get nationwide. And fuck me, did they end up doing it and doing it well. Um, Obviously, looking back at Barely Legal now, you know, eight months later, it it's a show that at the time I was a little bit down on. I was like, it, it didn't show everything I wanted from ECW. But sort of looking back at it and sort of looking at it now more with the whole of the year, it really was a sort of a rebirth of ECW and a sort of day one marker of right we are not what we were this is what we are now and this is what we have to keep doing going forward um you know it had its moment obviously funk being there and getting the title you know we had uh, amazing wrestling matches we had the proper hardcore stuff and the fact that the the generator blew up 30 seconds after they finished the show and went off air just sort of sums up everything about ECW. Obviously, the second pay-per-view wasn't as good, but that wasn't down to to booking as such. It just it just didn't sort of click together. The venue didn't help. It didn't look as good. But the third pay-per-view, you know, November to Remember, definitely pulled it back and was arguably, you know, one of the best shows sort of, of of the back end of the year on all three of the American companies because, you know, for all the fact of the Fed's big news story of Survivor Series, fuck me was that a bad show Um, WCW haven't been doing anything decent this past couple of months you know, it's been the one shining light in the last few months worth of pay-per-views and it came from ECW Um. Have you? I think you've done all three of the pay per views, haven't you, Eric? So no, I, what you... I, ha- I have watched them though. Yeah, I've I, I have seen them and and I have my own thoughts. <laughs> so how how do you feel that the pay per view experiment and furthering has has done for for the little engine that can? Yeah, and it's really interesting because I guess 
this this may reflect our different personalities, but you know, your review was I think it's so great that ECW got there, and it, it's it's been years where we were waiting for ECW to get on pay per view. But you know, as as the they said in their 1987 hidden gem prime mover, you know, near, lyrics by Neil Peart, the point of the journey is not to arrive. And I think that that deep album cut on a on a lesser known Rush album is kind of where ECW has to be looking. You know, they the, they've gotten to one point of their journey as a as a company trying to grow into the mainstream. Uh, by getting on pay-per-view, but in my opinion, by and large, once they've gotten on the pay-per-view, they haven't really delivered. Um, I think you're right that November to Remember was clearly the best of the three, but Barely Legal in April and Hardcore Heaven in August um, and November to Remember, uh, the, the, the quality or lack of quality of these shows as a whole has made two, thing, two things pretty clear. Uh, first, I think ECW is still in a way trying to find its footing uh, from a booking standpoint, how to appeal to enough people to become mainstream without kind of selling out their soul. And you can see some really inconsistent booking decisions that they've made, uh, not helped by the fact that uh, seemingly in the middle of the year, they had to deal with a major talent exodus that seemed to screw up a lot of their long-term plans. Um, and then second, you know, for as much as we bag on WWF and WCW for the quality of its pay-per-views, and you mentioned it, and we're absolutely right to, because they haven't been good. I'm struggling to find three great shows this year uh, for the end of the year awards. But ECW has maybe proven that it's not as easy as we as fans would like to believe to build to and then deliver a quality show. Um, and so I think we're seeing ECW go through some struggles that every wrestling promotion that wants to become mainstream goes through. You know, where's your audience? How can you capture the most people without becoming duplicative of one of the other federations and how can you build to and then deliver on pay-per-views on a consistent level, which will inevitably grow your audience. So mm. I would like, I'm very curious to see where ECW goes specifically with its pay-per-views in 1998, because I think they need to, they need to deliver a higher quality more consistently because I can turn into an episode of hardcore TV and see just as good of a match with just as many stars for free as I can on some of these pay-per-views where the matches that have been built up have been largely disappointing. Um, so I might have a little bit more of a pessimistic uh, or at least a nihilist view of uh, what ECW has done in 1997 in terms of pay-per-view because I don't want them getting on pay-per-view to be seen as the ultimate success. See, yesterday I don't think that they, it is that they're, they're, they're now there is the ultimate success, but I think it's more... You've got to remember... The Fed have been doing pay-per-views since what? When was the first Mania? 84? NWA, WCW, pretty much around the same sort of time. You look at that style of show to where, I know you can't really clock sort of thing, the 80s to now, but they hadn't got everything down in those early shows. You know, ECW of, you know, are going to have some TV problems, are going to have to take baby steps, are going to, you know, have to work on things. And it's, it is trial by error. But I think what we've noticed, in the, especially with November to Remember, was the production value looked better for that on pay-per-view than their usual TV does. Um, 
you know, how they had the arena set up, how they filmed it, gave it a bit more of a sort of professional look, which they need to go for on pay-per-view. Um, I think as, as we sort of covered in the month, this month's news, the fact that some of the bigger pay-per-view companies are looking at taking next year's first pay-per-view will mean that there's an increased revenue stream, which importantly, that's what they need because what the Fed and what WCW can do is they have people on contracts so they can build shit for long periods. You know, they can start some, if you look at WF, they could start something as a, as a pipe dream in January at the Rumble and it not pay off till Survivor Series because they know the guys are going to be there. The whole Sting and Hogan thing's been building for over a year and they knew that they could do that in WCW because they aren't going to lose the guys. As we've said, halfway through this year, we had Raven go, Stevie went, uh, Saturn went, Mustafa went, you know, that's like four of the bigger guys in main programs and main storylines just up and left mid, mid run. You know, Raven was at least good enough to see out his thing with Tommy and go out on his back like he should do, finally giving Tommy that win. But it had to be done on a, on a special, not at the pay-per-view like it was meant to because Raven had taken a deal. Um, I think having more income coming in means that they can put people on deals because just think like one of the hottest acts at the minute is the Dudleys because they get such nuclear heat. How, you know, you build them up and then they, you know, they don't have a proper long-term deal. They can quite easily just jump ship whenever that's where we'll kill your pay-per-view because you'll be building something and then you have to just, throw something together last minute. I mean I mean the more income that comes in, the better for the for the product overall. Yeah, and I think very much related to ECW's burgeoning presence on pay per view is is ECW generally in the mainstream. I mean I think this really is the overarching theme for ECW moving forward. Can it eventually succeed on a national level like the big two? Um I'm a little bit worried, Chris, that they, we've seen ECW persist with the sex and violence, especially the violence against women, the excellent ball-style chair shots, Sabu and Tommy working with serious, and in Sabu's case, a devastating injury, exploding death matches, as we talked about. This seems contrary to ECW's ability to grow into a really profitable national company. Well... The one thing that ECW does have going for it, which is sort of in with the mainstream, is the rise of the things like Jerry Springer. You've got South Park, you know, that edgy sort of TV show that's now starting. Beavis and Byard are still about, you know, there's still, there's still definitely a demographic that wants to see that sort of 18 to 25 you know, toilet humor, violence, that also likes metal and stuff. You know, they've got that market. It, it's getting them on the right TV channels and 
into the right people to see it because you know we're we're lucky enough that we can get hold of stuff you know to watch it whereas how many markets in the states alone can't see this product that would be you know because all right i know there's there was this talk at the end of the year for the wf saying that they were going to grow up and be more attitude but the fed for how many years has been the plaything of binmen postmen police officers clowns neon guys from hawaii you know it's for however much we all love wrestling you look at that and someone on the outside that can't that hasn't been brought up with it or got in and sort of found it and loved it explain that to someone oh yeah um well there was this match where a binman was fighting a human bull and yes i know that's dated because it's like back a couple of years ago but it still has that sort of stigma around it, especially in the wwf it's as you you get to the the right people that are quite happy to see edgy grungy stuff this is perfect for them it's it's getting into those markets so we'll take a little bit of a uh, a turn here and 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 talk about the tag team division this was a division uh chris in my opinion that uh the for the first half of the year was really uh going strong uh the eliminators were hanging around um the Dudleys were working their way up. Um, really solid matches all around. Um, there was just that what Bobby would call a barmy uh, tag match with the Dudleys and Sandman and Balls uh, teaming up, and that was a couple of months ago. And then it took a little dip, as we talked about, October, November. They hot shot of the belts, but um, Candido and Storm uh, might be able to take this division back to prominence. Well, I'm I'm surprised you didn't mention your boys there, the FBI. Um, well, I, I was saving a special place in my heart for the Big Don and his crew. Don't worry, we'll get there. But if you must know, yeah, they are the tag team MVPs for ECW this month or this year, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so we started the year. Uh, we still we were still going with the, the we had the Pitbulls, we had the Gangsters, we had uh, the Eliminators, the Dudleys, and they were, there was constantly good matches between all of them. You know, you, you had your mix of good wrestling matches when you had like just the Dudleys and the Eliminators together. You chugged in the gangsters and you got these epic walking brawls with weapons and, you know, you got your violent side of it out and you had things with like New Jack diving off parts of the building and balcony dives. And it was all great. And then sort of we got to the middle of the year and then it just seemed to be there was the Dudleys and there was Cronus and New Jack because Mustafa had gone, Saturn had gone. And they went, uh, should we just put them together then? And it, it did suck a little bit out of, of what was a highlight of, of the beginning part of the year. And then we were saved by uh, Little Guido, The Big Don, and Tracy Smothers. The FBI sort of rising to prominence there at the back end of the year. And seeing we've now got, as as champions, seeing out the year, uh, Candido and Storm 
who, as I said in the show this month, reminded me very much of like Benoit and Malenko did back in the day, the zero fucks we are going to throw you about and not have weapons matches and proper wrestling tag team. You know, it, it is good, good light looking going into next year's tag team division. If we can sort of keep where we are, um, I'm hoping that Cronus and New Jack can just sort of split up now because that's a failed experiment. But everyone else in the tag, in the tag division, I think is, is awesome. And hopefully we can get some really good stuff out of it. And so Chris, two, two related topics. We've seen the WWF trend in what they're calling an, an attitude movement or whatever that means. Shawn Michaels is a dick on television and the undercard sucks. So it's like 1995 still in a lot of ways. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, second and related, the storyline commingling the WWF and ECW talent, which was mostly seen on ECW television the second half of the year. Uh, and so, Chris, we'll take these one at a time, and it's impossible to talk about them separately, though, truly. So but re- do you think ECW will be able to maintain its foothold as as the alternative brand of wrestling if the WWF continues this attitude trend? Um. It depends on what they're going to do with it, really. Because, um, as we said, there is a demand for counterculture and edgy and brash wrestling because, you know, we, we see it every time we see an ECW show, you know, constant attendances growing. You know, there is definitely a need for it. Whether Vince is going to look at this and go, oh, well, we could do what ECW does, but probably less hardcore. You know, I I don't expect to start watching Raw and seeing some of the sort of triple jumping moonsaults through tables and people with ladders wrapped around their heads getting smashed on a chair whilst heads in a ladder, you know, guitar shots and staple guns. I've, but I could see Vince sort of maybe trying a a baby version of it. The problem is with that, obviously, as we've had this year, there has been colluding and a sort of joining together of ECW and WWF, obviously, on both parts with some of the WWF, uh, ECW guys turning up on Raw, and then obviously... The, the awesome Jerry the Lawler stuff earlier this year and seeing Furnace and Fon, seeing Baracus, you know, we've had Sonny's been about, you know, the ECW have very much benefited from this relationship with the WWF. But depending on what Vince wants to do with this so-called attitude and new beginning and new change that he wants to do. It could be bad for ECW. Well, I would I'd say bad. It could be bad for ECW, but not bad for their guys because they could get guaranteed money if they go and uh, go mainstream. I think it's, it's weird to think about, but WWF trending more of a of an ECW direction might actually do more harm to ECW simply because 
ECW will have to up its up its game and will have to get more extreme and more hardcore and more on the fringes to maintain a, a national audience potentially. That's not saying that people who already watch ECW will trend to the WWF because we know that's not always the case. But if the WWF is the one that attracts those fringe fans who maybe don't know ECW, um, it might push ECW out further into the margins opposite of where they need to go, and it could hamper them from getting that national coverage and that national pay-per-view audience that you know, that they they really, really need to become more than a you know a distant third uh, party in the pro wrestling political landscape. Um, I, I I just the thing about the thing about WWF being a threat to ECW is if if you're a bourbon drinker and you like bourbon, there's nothing better than a glass of bourbon, and there's nothing worse than a glass of bourbon that's d- diluted with water and ice, you know, until it's undrinkable. And if the WWF tries to do ECW, you know it'll be diluted uh, beyond something that somebody who really likes ECW uh, will want to trend towards. The the thing with is with that is you say. Um... I don't think, as you, as you say, they're not going to get the ECW fans, but the people that would look at ECW as the counterculture and the alternative and would be drawn to that will instead go to the Fed because it's still the edgy and silly and, you know, that part of it. Whereas they could just go to ECW where they can see it properly. And so I think, you know, the ECW and WWF are, are commingled right now. And because they've commingled themselves and using, they've used each other for, uh, for advertising and for promotion. And I don't think it's really done either company that much good. Um, and so, you know, down the line scenario I, I could see is where the WWF really tries to use ECW as a, as a, nearly true minor league for its talent. Uh, I wouldn't say you put, you know, a, a Rocky Maivia in mid-1996 up against New Jack or up against Balls and Axel, but you put you send him down there and put him against Tommy Dreamer uh, in, in actual wrestling matches. You put him against RVD. You put him against Jerry Lynn, these worker guys, and, and get get their the, the next WWF stars uh, some seasoning. Or if there's not going to be a behind-the-scenes relationship like that i could see some sort of truly beneficial scenario where ecw and the wwf have like an nwo wcw type relationship i wouldn't put vince mcmahon above that at all but if it's not for some something more either behind the behind the scenes or in front of the camera what was the point of this wwf and ecw uh relationship in 1997 um it's it's a weird one because at no point has have either of them really sort of come out and said, "Well, I'm happy because we've got X or Y." Or there's there's never been a real sort of, "Oh look, this is the master plan for for all of this." So. I think it's a wait and see to see if anything happens next year, but I, I wouldn't want to see ECW becoming WF's farm as such. You know, I'm quite happy for them to send guys down 
at the same same time. So obviously, if you look, at, we've got Al Snow now. Um, he's come down. He's going to make himself much better there, and you know, potentially could end up back in the Fed. Uh, we've had Pillman, we've had Austin, so you know, it has always been transitional. But I don't want them taking an RVD or taking a Dudley's and just. I don't know, meddling them in the mid card and them being pointless where we can and being watered down where we can see them at their best in ECW doing what they do. Yeah, it, it'll be an interesting well and as the WWF grows, we've already seen they've kind of on their own television, they've kind of gone away from mentioning ECW and I know that Paul Heyman claimed that they didn't want to be promoted on the Survivor Series episodes because of the, uh, or the post Survivor Series episodes because of all the controversy. But I would suspect that if the WWF continues this upward trend, it'll say, we don't need any, any, you know, to give away any free advertisement to these guys, or we don't need these guys, uh, to, to help us get uh, a new audience. Um, and so Chris, I think we've, we've said this about ECW or, at least it has been said about ECW every year, probably since 94 and 95. But now that they've gotten on pay-per-view and developed some, some modicum of a mainstream following and, and are in the public consciousness on a national level, 1998 really strikes me as a, a, a true make-or-break year for ECW. Yeah, um, and a lot of it is out of their control as well. Um, obviously... They can control what they do for their builds and the matches they put on their pay-per-views and have that as their revenue stream. But if, as we keep going back to, if Vince is, is doing edgy and attitude, he has the checkbook that he opens up and how quickly is it for an RBD, a Tommy Dreamer, a Dudley's, you know, Cronus, you know, guaranteed earnings that they don't, you know, don't have to always kill themselves to get their money because then they won't be working the same style as they do in ECW. I think the main thing this year is going to be keeping people and keeping their whole roster and also trying to find new guys because obviously we, we, we know there's always going to be people leaving it's how wrestling has been for years that you know people come and go move from territory to territory it's it just happens um obviously we know they've been working with fmw are they going to start bringing japanese guys in from there i know there's a working relationship with uh, mishinoku pro again bringing guys in from there but that core ecw roster i think needs guarantees and contracts to make sure they're there because these are the guys that build the stories that make you want to keep coming back. You know, we've, we've seen obviously Shane come and go, went to the fed, got ruined and came back with his tail between his legs a bit. But who's to say that WCW want to give him some money because you know Shane's awesome and could quite easily be, a mid-card guy in WCW and earning a fuck ton more than he does for for ECW. It, it's that's that's the problem for this coming year, and 
if they are not going to put people in and keep people, they need to make sure that they've got more coming in, even more so than any year before. It'll be an interesting way to see how ECW can continue this growth that it has been on pretty steadily for the past three years. And, and, and like you say, protect its talent and really continue the upward trend that it's been on. Um, I'm very fascinated to see whether or not these guys that we've seen uh, come up through ECW, like a Rob Van Dam, like a Taz, um, like the Dudleys uh, coming up now, uh, if they, as the news docs seem to maybe report, not so much RVD, but the Dudleys, Taz, Tommy Dreamer, all these ECW stalwarts, um, if they're as loyal to the company as they say they are, because when Vince McMahon or Eric Bischoff comes offering guaranteed money and maybe not less dates, but certainly dates that are uh, take less off your bump card cumulatively, there are certain guys that ECW can't lose um, right now. And so in the next, the next six months, if they lose any number of those top guys, um, they could be in real trouble because their depth is not that great. Um, and so, Chris, any other thoughts on, on where we're going in 1998 before we throw it back to the main show? No. Um, other than, you know, I, I hope that they do continue to have this relationship with FMW and, you know, maybe we can see some of their star matches really push the boat out. That's one for those of if you have you listened to the ECW show this month, you'll know what we're on about. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely going to be an interesting year, and I will definitely be watching all of it. It definitely would give new meaning to the Mega Powers explode. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, Chris Lacey, you can be found on Twitter. I can at Lacey five 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 six six six. My WCW musings even can be found at Super Brawls and if you have ears like music then listen to Show and Tell with Tunes it's free music do it now and I can be found on Twitter at Modern Day Lawyer and uh, Chris I've enjoyed uh, recapping 1997 and ECW with you and looking ahead to 1998 and I hope we get to do it again next year and uh, we'll see it would be a shame not to yeah and we'll throw it back to the main show now Wonderful. Right, Excellent. Right at about a half an hour, too, which is.